the your town podcast i'm zach i'm matt and we're here for episode two where we're going to be talking about the local legend here in northern st lawrence county ogdensburg new york the one the only frederick remington Stud. Frederick Remington, you guys probably know him for his bronze sculptures and his paintings of all things cowboys and naked Americans. Um, and here in the Berg, that's I mean, that's pretty much it. Like he's 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 everybody's field trip back in the day. You're going to the big house down by the river, you're seeing the statues, you're looking at the Indians, the giant buffalo heads, because the dude killed just about everything under the sun. And it, it's just it's a it's a cool thing that we here in Ogdensburg, New York, can say, hey. That dude's from around here. Yeah, it's it's something, too, that once we've kind of done, like I did a little research, you did a little research, there was a ton of stuff I didn't know about the guy. And yeah. I mean, I didn't grow up here, so I, I didn't take those, you know, element, elementary oh, yeah. field yep, trips. Yep. But I've been to the couple of places because they do an okay job. And we'll get into a little bit more. But yeah, it's a cool thing. Yep. Yep. So let's just get right into it. So, I mean, first things first, our boy Frederick, that's F-R-E-D-E-R-I-C, I just found out in researching this that I've been spelling his name wrong mm. my whole life. Not that I'm saying that I've spelled his name a bunch of times. But anyway, Frederick, he comes from a family of ass-kicking badasses. Mm -hmm. All right. His earliest North American ancestors came over from France in the early 1600s. and just decided to found the town of Windsor in Connecticut. Studs. His father was a Union colonel in the Civil War. And if you trace his his lineage far enough back, you'll find that he has male relatives who fought in the French and Indian War, the American Revolution, and the War of 1812. Wow. And then to kind of top it all off, his great-grandfather was a world-renowned craftsman of fine horse saddles. Hmm. And then to take it a step further, his cousin is the same Remington who founded Remington Arms Company, which is America's oldest gun manufacturer. Wow. And as if all that wasn't cool enough and Americana enough, rumor has it, he is possibly related to the one, the only George Washington. Wow. And he was the first president for anybody that isn't good at history. And rumor has it that probably one of the Remingtons made George Washington's wooden teeth. Allegedly. Yeah, you'd have to think out of the wood from the cherry tree that the guy chopped down. Yep. Mm -hmm. Wow. I mean, talk about, and I hate to say it this way, but like manly men that yeah. he came from. Like yeah. the, the, and the reason is there's more to this, why I'm saying this, but holy cow. From yep. leading armies to gun-owning companies to starting towns. Unreal. And then you know what's even cooler? What? He has a terrific mustache. True. Very true. And his middle name is Sackrider. That's pretty sweet. I feel like I knew a girl back in the day. Her, her nickname was Sackrider, but different. <laughs> you don't marry them. Nope. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, he's a hometown favorite of ours. Uh, he, was born, he was born right down Route 68 in the town of Canton. But he spent most of his childhood right here in Augensburg. Like I said earlier, his museum is right down by the river, overlooking the beautiful St. Lawrence, and it is now open to the public. Um, I, I can't imagine that that museum isn't home to most of his original works, not owned in private collections. I mean, like I said, you can see all of his paintings, drawings, sculptures, uh, taxidermy things of shit that he shot. Uh, I mean, relics that he picked up from out west. Like the place is packed. It's super cool. So if you're in the area, definitely stop in um, and check that out. Yeah, and this they're not even a sponsor of the show. No. Yet, but maybe we'll reach out to them. We still got some time before this airs. Yeah, but hey, support the arts. 
support the arts and and what's pretty wild is like you said i i have to believe that they don't have a whole bunch of private stuff in there i I just can't think that there's that much valuable stuff yeah hidden in that place but maybe not i don't know but what one thing that i I feel like it's not talked about enough like the remington like once in a while they do like a wine festival or something and it's in there and you go in there and there's vendors and stuff. And, you know, they, they, they try, I think to do a decent job of getting people in there and really showing off some pretty amazing Mm -hmm. stuff. But I just feel like, I don't know whether it's the marketing or the area. It's just, I feel like it could, it it could be more and it should be done more. But uh, And every time I'm in there, I I thought it's absolutely fantastic. I've been there for wine tastings. I've been there just to walk through. I've been through tours. My wife's big into art and museums and all stuff. So we've taken it there. It's great. Like I said, stop by uh stop by for in the area and i can't wait knowing what i know now after doing some research like i'm gonna have an even more maybe maybe we'll go in and we'll give a tour and and tell our story and we'll just play this episode as we walk around on a sweet vintage boombox that'd be sweet all right let's so let's hear more about so so yeah so let's get back to the roots here uh remington started his artistic expression early he gained a reputation as a skilled caricaturist and doodler as a teenager at his church-run military school. Uh, despite the strict atmosphere, Remington was deemed less than soldier material uh, by his commanding officers at this military school. But he seemed fine with this. Uh, he famously wrote in a letter to an uncle, and this might be my next tattoo, uh, I never intend, this is a quote, I never intend to do any great amount of labor. I have but one short life and do not aspire to wealth or fame in a degree which could only be obtained by an extraordinary effort on my part. Wow. Now imagine that mentality, like we t- well, like we kind of spoke about earlier, in a family full of manly men yeah. with the family business. I mean, they're all military leaders. They are, in, in, in that kind of regard, the manly men. Like yeah. you don't get- These are alphas. And they come from money, um, you know, just toughness. And he more or less is like, yeah, I don't really feel like working. I'm just going to kind of, you know, not play on my drum all day, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw. Yep. And, you know man. what I'm going to do, Dad? I'm going to doodle. And that is probably how we got his nickname Sack Rider because the sack on this guy, huge, unreal, huge, unreal. Right. But yeah, I mean, Frederick took the sentiment to heart. Mm-hmm. Um, despite attend, despite getting into and attending art school at the Yale University and being a pretty popular guy, he was a prize fighting boxer and he was a and he was a member of the 1879 and 1880 national football championship teams. Hmm. Um, however, he did leave school early to tend to his dying father after his father. It, so he, he goes home, he leaves. His father is dying of tuberculosis. Yeah, um, yeah not a good thing to really do. Nope. Uh, but then so him leaving school, a couple things happen. His father dies bad. And then he's dating a girl at the time. He goes up to the he goes up to his potential father in law. Hey, potential father in law. I would really like to marry your daughter. And he says he's not interested. Not Ooh. having you as a son-in-law, you're a lazy-ass doodler, go somewhere else. And so Frederick was like, you know what? Not going back to Yale. Yale, you can take it and shove it. Thanks for the back-to-back championships. Thanks for the boxing career. Thanks for the boxing career. I'm going to take my doodles. I'm going to leave. So he's, so from here on, he decides to fully send his ambitions to do as little as possible. He lived off his inheritance and his side jobs and eventually said, you know what? I'm going out west. Uh, to pursue some to pursue some business endeavors, however, those never came to pasture. Uh-huh. Get it? I get it. Pasture. So, 
So let me ask you, it's a little off topic, and we don't have to go too long into this, but I'm curious. So who wins in a boxing match in their prime, Remington or the upstate onion farmer, Carmen Basilio? I would have to say, I'd have to say Carmen. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I, if you, I, I think there'd be a cool picture, though. Yeah, and if you actually, if you Google and look up Carmen Basilio, Basilio on his Wikipedia page, it's him wearing like a king crown with just like scars and yep. like just from the he's fight just glute. Oh, he's a stud looking. Yep. So. Um, but he, hey, he's from New York as well. The upstate Canastota. Yep. All right. So all this is to say he spent a lot of time out West, uh, basically just coming in and out of business deals and doodling. Um, and this isn't my words. These are the words that actually historians that write about Frederick Remington talk about. They refer to these early parts of his career as doodles. He's doodling. So he sent his doodles back West uh, because he, thankfully for him, he had an uncle um, in the Albany area that was into the newspaper business. And back in this time, we're talking late 19th century. Mm-hmm. Newspapers are a booming. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, he sends he sends his doodles back east to all these guys that his uncle knows, and eventually publishers at Harper's Weekly they just say, "Hey, that's a pretty good sketch," and they send him some money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was also around this time though that he was kind of coming in and out of some business opportunities. He went out there and he dumped a bunch of money into a ranch. Ranching was a little too much work for him. Didn't really want to do that much work. And then he got in, then he took, tried to buy a stake into a mining operation. Again, a little too much work for a guy, Frederick. So you know what he did? He bought a saloon. Yeah. And he went into business as a saloon man. Saloon, saloon man. Yeah, I'll buy it. Saloon tender. Oh. Anyway, uh, believe it or not, his wife, who is not the chick that, you know, said, whose dad was like, nah, don't want you marrying my daughter. Um, this was another gal, and but she was like, you know what? You're drunk. You hang out with assholes, and all you do is sit there and draw the assholes that you hang out at the bar. I'm going back to Ogdensburg because going back to Ogdensburg is rather than being out here with your drunk, stupid ass. So he leaves, and he just says, you know what? I'm going to keep doodling. So he doodles some more, and pretty much pisses away his inheritance. He he he. All of his business ventures fail, and he. He just he's kind of really kind of having to ride the ride the wave. It's not really a wave at this point um, for his art. So he really pounds the pavement, really doubles down on this art career. Keeps sending him back east. It slowly but surely uh, he notices a rising demand for his art and what they call commercial illustrations. Yep. So after a few years of slinging these sketches and painting, um, this is what he did to get by though. Let's not make, let's not mince any words here. He was literally drawing and painting to get the food and necessities that he needed to survive out West. The old barter system, the old barter system. But eventually he did build up enough of demand and following uh, to say, you know what? I'm going to be a professional artist from here on out. And his main inspiration for this, according to several different sources was, Hey, this is my way to do as little as possible for the most gain. Yeah, and what's kind of cool, too, is for Harper's Weekly, Thomas Nast also did cartoons for them, and he was actually the first person to use an elephant as the symbol of the Republican Party. He also drew the legendary character known as Santa Claus, and his version actually became strongly associated with the figure who was popularized as a Christmas customs in the late 19th century. So good company there yep. for uh, the, the Harper's Weekly decided to you know, and, uh, and Thomas Nast, don't know what his personal po- well, politics were, but if he's drawing elephants, the Republican Party. Uh, Frederick Remington would have uh, been in good company with him because Frederick Remington comes from a long line of 
very staunch Republicans. There's a whole bunch of the politics of all that that we're not going to get into here because yeah. it's about the art and him hanging out and just doing boss dude shit mm-hmm. instead of doing stuff on the grind with the nine to five. Yep. Anyway, good news though, from this time forward, Frederick's doing pretty well. Mm-hmm. So well, in fact, that he caught the attention, none other than Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, Teddy Roosevelt isn't the Teddy Roosevelt that we knew at the time. I believe Teddy was only 29 at this time, but he wrote a book called Ranch Life in the Hunting Trail in which he commissioned Frederick to do 83 illustrations for that book. Wow. So this relationship early on, however, it, it, it created this relationship that carried on between Freddie and Teddy well into Teddy Roosevelt's time as the president and beyond, which goes on to some stuff that I don't think we're going to get to today. But basically, Fred's like, hey, come to Cuba, do some stuff with me. Let's go out west, do some stuff with me. Let's let's chronicle the existence of the American manifest destiny as we try to push our way to the West Coast. And you know what, Freddie? We want you there chronicling the whole thing. Yeah, and obviously you mentioned they're really good friends. After the death of uh, Teddy's wife, Alice Lee, in 1884, Roosevelt moved temporarily to the Badlands in the Dakota Territory, where he owned two cattle ranches. Then in 1888, Century Magazine published a series of articles about the Western written by Roosevelt and illustrated by no other than Remington. In, in a May article, Roosevelt told the story of his daring capture of three thieves who had stolen a boat from his uh, Elkhorn ranch. Remington then depicted it, uh, the capture of everything, did a really cool painting. So make sure you Google it. It's called Hands Up, the Catcher, Capture of Finnegan. And they actually hung that in the White House. I was a little nervous because as I was looking at the notes, as you were going through them, I thought it said Remington decapitated. Oh, and no. That's not what depicted. Was well, depicted, depicted and capture kind of blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was you. you know bad eyes. Okay. Well, either yeah. way, no, 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 no decapture. You know, yep, the heads no were all there. Remington hands are clean yep. on this one. Mm-hmm. All right. Not to say that there's other ones that he was dirty on. Anyway, I don't anyway. think Fred. Let me just state, I don't think Frederick Remington killed anybody. Anyway, so Teddy Roosevelt aside, all right. Uh, his first year as a full-time commercial artist, Remington grossed about twelve hundred bucks. Now remember, this is eighteen sixty-six. All right. For further detail, twelve hundred dollars in eighteen sixty-six was three times what your average school teacher was bringing home per year. Yeah. So our boy Freddie's doing all right, mm-hmm. as was his style. He bragged about his earnings to a friend in a letter, saying, "That's a pretty good break for an ex-cow puncher." <laughs> Don't know what a cow puncher is, but I'm sure I've been accused of being one back Ooh. in my day. <laughs> and what's crazy too, twelve hundred dollars in nineteen hundred, so you know, several years later, was he is equivalent to forty three thousand dollars today. So yeah, he was he was doing all right. Yeah, he was almost slinging burgers at McDonald's. There we go. But yeah, from this point forward, uh, Remington was set up. He simply traveled North America, taking photos and extensive notes on what he saw in the wilds of the West, um, which at this point was becoming incredibly it was it was being domesticated incredibly fast Mm -hmm. um he would take these photos and notes into account when painting and oddly enough uh despite all this sort of rigorous uh fact checking and research and firsthand accounts he never really sold well to the established art critics because ironically enough they claimed his palette and presentation was unrealistic but since these people had never seen the West firsthand themselves, he essentially ignored them and continued to sell his commercial work to publications back east and made a bunch of money in the process. Bunch of money. Bunch of money. And what I think is an awesome middle finger to the establishment, Remington, who only started using watercolors in his ink line drawings as a way to make more money off the drawings he sold to publications, he was selected to represent, and this is capital A, capital P, all of American painting in the 1889 
Paris Exposition, which you won second prize. Yeah, I mean, second's not bad, first loser, but either way, it's pretty impressive there. Yeah. And and apparently, the price of admission just to get into this kind of exposition was forty cent cent times. Cent times, I don't know. Yeah, then it was obviously an older currency that they used over there, and it attracted more than thirty-two million visitors. That's like every Super Bowl combined. It's it's unreal, That's especially insane. when travel wasn't nearly as good as it is today. But there was a lot of people that went there just to just show you. And then he took second place. That's that's unreal. It's pretty crazy. So Frederick being forever the man to capitalize on a moment, he rolled this momentum. He he packed up, kept his property up here in Ogdensburg, moved down to New Rochelle, down by New York City uh, with his wife and family. This is the same wife who left him out west for being a drunk doodle artist. But now she's like, oh, well, you're Frederick Remington. I'm coming back these hoes are loyal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but regardless of his marital status, Remington was such a big deal now that his property in the surrounding town became an artist's colony of sorts. His custom-designed Gothic Revival College was impressive in its own right, but naturally he grew bored of this life and began traveling the now Old West or Dying West, as is being referred to at that time, mm-hmm. on the behest of the U.S. military and its soldiers who were doing their best to finish off any remaining Native American tribes willing to fight their further ancestral homeland. Full stop. Mm-hmm. He was there at uh, mere days after the Battle of Wounded Knee wow. in South Dakota. Um, you know, unfortunately, that was where the U.S. military gunned down 150 Sioux tribesmen, most of which are women and children. Anyway, we're moving past that. To reflect the reality of the situation, though, in this different sort of slice of time that he was now looking at, Frederick Remington started depicting his paintings in a more, as they said, monochromatic and photographic feel to really sort of further relate the 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 stark reality of what was going on out in the west at this time and and keep in mind too that nobody else is really doing this or have the reach and connections at this that he has kind of developed at this time to to portray what is really going on where a lot of not only the other part of the country but the other part of the world yeah doesn't know this part of the history and it might not have ever really known if if it wasn't for some of his pieces of work yeah i mean photography is still let's call it primitive at this time the best thing that you have really is the telegram. Um, you know, like, so information isn't getting east very quickly or efficiently or without layers and layers and layers of people taking it and, and kind of making it, uh, turning it into things that it wasn't. So these soldiers, in an attempt to accurately depict what they were seeing and what was happening and what their experience was out in the Midwest, said, you know what? Get that guy from Canton and Augensburg on a train now. Yep. Have him bring his paints and his easel. Because we want Frederick Remington to be our guy to tell the people, hey, listen, this is what we're doing out here. This is what we're up against. Yep. And then, of course, Frederick, and, and um, you know, he he does all of this, but then he has a new hobby and found passion because he just keeps evolving as this artist, right? Yeah. And so, again, the guy gets bored, but likes art. So he hit up his friend Frederick Ruckstall, who was a career sculptor. That's a cool name for a sculptor. It's what he did. Ruckstall. Ruckstall, the sculptor. No, it didn't no. work. It was a slant rhyme. Anyway. But they're both Frederick. Both Fredericks. So Fred Squared got together. Ruckstall was like, hey, Freddie Remington, this is how you do this sort of thing. Anyway, for his first crack at sculpting, he 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 outlined and created the first iteration of what became known as the Bronco Buster sculpture, which if anybody has been around Frederick's work is familiar with the work that is the sculpture of the cowboy with the whip and the rearing 
Yeah, it's right there. See, look at that. It, but if you're listening, but, you can't see yeah, it. Yeah, if but, you can't listen to that, see that, check us out on the YouTube. But yeah, it's this it, it is it is admittedly by uh contemporary sculptures of the time an incredibly, incredibly difficult uh subject to to put into sculpture, especially in this bronze relief lost wax uh form of sculpting. Yep. However, less than a year after deciding he's gonna be a sculptor. Our boy Frederick Remington is selling copies of his Bronco sculpture at Tiffany's in New York City. It's wild. And in his first bronze sculpture, the Bronco Buster, was actually sold in a 2012 auction for $222,300. So, I mean, I can't imagine what it's going to go for. I mean, eventually it's probably going to get for sale. I mean, it's already been, you know, uh, over a decade. So, you know, eventually it's going to go again. I'm curious. I bet you it goes over half a million. That'd be cool. I mean, it's not going to affect us at all, but yeah, yeah. it would be pretty cool. Unless they reinvested locally in the arts, support the arts. Anyway, anyways, Remington went on in this fashion for the remainder of his life, though. He fell in and out of styles and modes of art, selling in or publishing works in watercolor, line sketches, bronze sculpture, oil paintings, and eventually writing articles and novels for publication. He wrote articles for, for, for newspapers and magazines covering out West, covering the art scene. And he even, I believe he wrote two novels uh, about, you know, encapsulating what he experienced out in the Midwest and, and what he took away from there. Wow. His impact on the American arts was so profound, profound that by the turn of the 20th century, contemporary artists of the time producing works of sim, producing works similar to what Remington was covering became known as members of the School of Remington. That's pretty sweet. Unfortunately, Remington's life was cut short. He died in 1909 at the age of 48 following a short illness brought on by complications from an appendectomy. So l literally cut short. Yeah, literally cut short. All right, so so this is kind of what I'm getting from that. So he was a college dropout, lived off the yep. inheritance money, pursued his dream, and yep. failed. Yep. Failed miserably. Multiple times. He then had to move back in with his mom at one point, got more money from his mom, yep. and started a hardware business that also failed because of an alleged swindle and it failed despite him being from a long line of hardware store owners yes that's what his family did in canton not a big fan of laborers but no. he then reinvests the money into like you mentioned a saloon meets eva cat katan in 1884 leaves him because of the saloon life and the bad sketches like you said and then he was bartering his work like we mentioned but then he caught a break in that harper weekly like we mentioned mm -hmm. and then the gold digger comes back yep right jose ain't loyal Came right back, and then he even had to borrow some money from Uncle Bill, and then life became good. He yep. took the money, put it to good cause, became what he is today. Uncle Bill, the Uncle guy Bill. that was rubbing elbows with Ralph Waldo. No, not Ralph Waldo Emerson. Newspaper Baron, New York City. I can't remember his name right now. That's embarrassing. That's anyway, okay. somebody will correct us. Make William Randolph Hearst. There you go. Boom. There it is. Boom. So yeah, I mean. Just a wild, wild story. Again, something that's obviously physically very close to us and, and just a lot of stuff that I think people in this area don't really know the whole story and the whole truth. I didn't know it. Uh, I don't know if you knew the whole thing, but no, it's, no. it's pretty wild. Pretty wild. So uh, you want to throw out some sources and then close this out with a quote? So, yeah, I mean, sources uh, for this, obviously, the beloved Wikipedia. Love it. Uh, Metmuseum.org had a couple of great articles on there. Oh, yeah. um, and also the Frederick Remington Art Museum homepage. Yeah. yeah. Check it out. Check it all out. Yep. So, uh, like we did in the first episode, so we and we're going to do it here so we can say we've done it on every episode. We're going to end with a nice inspirational quote. A and, contemporary of Frederick's, I believe. I, I'm pretty sure it is. I'm pretty sure, too. 
Go ahead, hit it with it, and then we'll say our goodbyes. Just because you fail once doesn't mean you're going to fail at everything. Keep trying. Hold on and always, always, always believe in yourself. Because if you don't, then who will, sweetie? That's Marilyn Monroe. Mm -hmm. Can't thank you enough for letting us penetrate your earlobes. And uh, this is fun. We're going to be back with episode three of season one. And uh, that's all I got. You got anything else? I don't know why you had to go with a penetration line just because I mentioned a Marilyn Monroe quote. That's kind of that's kind of rude. It's a good segue. <laughs> all right, that's all I got. You guys, got, you got anything else? No, I'm not. I'm good, man. All right, we're gonna catch cue next time. The old school creepy music, right?